Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So quick story to start things off, and I know that's going to come across just a little bit self-serving. I promise you this is not an ad. I'm, I'm, I'm being as genuine as I'm capable of here on this. So last year, the single best thing that may have happened to me, or not the best thing, but the best moment, you know, like sort of remember your life in moments. Like the moment from last year that I think I'm going to really remember as much as anything by last year, I mean a year ago around this time, is on the final night of our Dog Nation cruise, we're sitting up there for a kind of private NFL draft party right at the top of Independence of the Seas. Beautiful night, perfect weather, big screen in front of us. And you were just watching name after name after name of former Georgia players being called in the NFL draft. Trayvon Walker was number one overall. You had five dogs in total draft in the first round. And I remember thinking, as a punctuation mark to a great national championship season, the kind of celebration we were able to have to enjoy all of that, I just remember thinking, gosh, this is about as perfect as it gets. And, you know, trying to, I guess, sort of be a little bit wise, you're like, boy, I better make sure I enjoy all of this because there aren't very many moments in a sporting life that will ever be more enjoyable than this one feels here right now. You better take advantage of this. You better soak this in because where you are, what you're seeing happen, the culmination of this great championship season, life rarely works out to feel this perfectly. And yet, y'all, here we are a year later, and sure enough, our final night of this year's cruise is going to be the NFL draft. And sure enough, one of the big events we're going to be doing as part of our Dog Nation cruise coming up next month is that NFL draft party once again. I don't tell you that to kind of pump up the cruise. By now, you're either coming or you're not, at least in all likelihood. But my point in telling you that is, is doesn't it feel like the best kind of history is repeating itself for Georgia once again? And maybe you will be on board with us. We'll celebrate all this together for our Dog Nation cruise. Or maybe you'll have your own draft party somewhere else. But one way or another, the thing that we saw last year, this this degree of perfection of championship season and the NFL scouting combine turning into the NFL draft becomes this unbelievable commercial for Georgia football. And as perfect and pristine as all that seemed, here we are a year later, and it seems like almost the exact same thing is happening again with just a different crop of names, at least on the basis of what we saw this past weekend during the NFL scouting combine. And we talked about this on Friday. Nolan Smith was the guy who kind of got all of this started, but it continued in a huge way over the weekend where you had a lot of guys who just went out there and just flat out dominated. I mean, Darnell Washington over the weekend, and I, you know, I'm one of those guys, I'm just not going to live and die with some of this combine stuff. It's not my favorite thing to do. I've told you that before, and I repeat myself on that just to make sure I'm honest with you. It's not like I'm just you know watching every second, you know, nanosecond of, of what goes on here from Indianapolis, but I'm following it on social media because it's a fun conversation to follow. And it seems like you know everything with Darnell was just – you know, one level of praise after another for a guy that we've all seen dominate. And now the NFL draft scouts got a chance to see that themselves. In fact, there's one photo of Washington, and a lot of you saw this live, that sort of tells the story on this as he's kind of running, running one of those pass catch uh, drills going towards the sideline, full extension with the big giant hand, one-handed catch. I think we have this photo to show here. I mean, is that not amazing? Uh, uh, what an unbelievable shot that is of Washington going, I pulled this off Mad Dog's uh, uh, Twitter feed. He has a happy Sunday on there. Uh, but but nonetheless, an amazing, amazing, amazing photo of Washington doing what he did, 
kind of encapsulating what Darnell Washington's sort of all about. Just sheer dominance when it comes to the NFL scouting combine. He is bigger. He he is faster. One of those short cone, you know, or sh- you know, short cone style drills. One of those you know uh, drills just you know designed to measure your kind of short range quickness. I saw where Darnell was the third fastest of anybody who ran in, in his you know wide receivers, tight ends, whatever else. He was the third quickest of anybody on that up there with guys like Jackson Smith and the Jigba from from Ohio State and, and players for, that you would think would be in a completely different category athletically because they're smaller and supposed to be quicker and yet Darnell even at his size is is doing the kinds of things that he did and getting a chance to tout himself uh, during his press conference time about whether or not he, you know, he is the best tight end I, I love the way they describe this I love the humility that he shows in, in talking about himself but there's no doubt that Darnell knows that he brings a skill set to the table that very few players in college football were able to match and as you start looking ahead to the upcoming NFL draft very few players on that draft going to be able to match this either. This is really, really good from Darnell Washington and why he believes that he's a special tight end worth paying attention to. He's right to say this. This is what he said in Indianapolis here this weekend. I feel like I'm only scratching the surface. I feel like I'm a good blocker. I feel like I could turn into a great blocker. Uh, great, good athlete currently. I feel like I'm going to turn into a great athlete. Uh, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. Do you think you're the best tight end in this draft and why? I feel like I'm the most unique tight end in the draft. I, I wouldn't say the best. Uh, I'm very humble, so uh, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, you just, just see the size. I mean, I'm bigger than, heavier than most of these tight ends. Uh, hey, you just see the 40. So I had a chance to talk to Darnell a couple of times during the college football playoff to lead up the national championship, and I always found every conversation I had with him to be a lot like what you heard right there. A guy that's just kind of fun to talk football with. You know, Darnell is clearly a unique specimen. He's right to point that out about himself. It's also interesting that he has, you know, he says, you know, I'm, I'm humble. I'm not going to call myself the best tight end this draft, but I do believe I bring a unique skill set that other guys don't possess. I think he's right in saying that. And I think if you are coming at this from the standpoint that I kind of do, because I just like college football better than the NFL, so I sort of think of the NFL draft as what does it mean for Georgia football? If a guy like Darnell Washington – is rewarded for his Georgia career by being a first-round pick, that's incredibly valuable to UGA because Darnell's one of those guys that was really asked to sort of be a team-first player at Georgia. He was a very special guy. He clearly showed some ability with the football in his hand. He could go catch the ball at Georgia, but he was also, I would say, I think, I mean, we've heard Kirby Smart say this plenty. He was also kind of the engine that made so much of the Georgia offense move because of how effective he was uh, as a blocker. In fact, you know, in that same press conference, one of the reporters said, hey, you think about moving to offensive tackle. Poor Darnell has heard those questions his entire life because the honest truth is if he devoted himself to be an offensive tackle, he might be Orlando Pace. He might be one of those guys that makes $100 million over the course of a 10-year career. But as a tight end who also catches the football, he's an extraordinary blocker too. And for Georgia – that's the kind of message that you would love to reverberate. That's the kind of message that you would love to resonate, that here's this unique talent, athletically, size-wise, everything else, devoted himself to a team concept of Georgia, was a willing blocker, made things happen for other playmakers, got a chance to be the playmaker in his own right from time to time, and the reward for doing that was a first-round draft pick selection and the kind of contract that goes along with that. You better believe that the Georgia machine would be greatly aided if the conversation that seemed to start around Darnell and the NFL scouting combine carries all the way through the month of April. But that's not the only Georgia prospect that I thought was pretty dominant based on what I could see and what I could tell uh, from the weekend. 
I, I saw Broderick Jones just, you know, moving around so well. Uh, you know, clearly this is a guy that when you watch, I'm talking about the Georgia left tackle, of course, when you watch the the current conversation that's taking place around Broderick Jones, I think you're reminded of how valuable he was to UGA, starting with his insertion during the national championship game at the end of the 2021 season, but certainly continuing all throughout 2022, where Georgia got a high level of dominance, the kind of thing that became a total security blanket for Stetson Bennett. You never really thought that much about Broderick just because he was doing his job to such a degree that you were able to think about other things. But when you see the way in which Broderick is being praised here, both in terms of some of the media stuff like mock drafts and things like that, but also the more credential decision makers, some of the things you're hearing them say about Broderick Jones too, you're reminded of just how special a player that Georgia's had over at that left tackle spot over the course of the last, we'll call it 16 games, because he slid in there at the end of the national championship game in 2021. But the point is, is that Broderick Jones has been a very special player for UGA. And the cool thing that was on display with the scouting combine because of the kinds of drills you're asking those guys to do, this isn't just the kind of Georgia offensive lineman that maybe you've seen in the past, like what an Andrew Thomas might have been, or you know guys like that prior to that are just so big they just maul you, they just you know plant you into the turf. You know Jones at times has shown an ability to do that, but he's also an amazing athlete too, like an like an unbelievable sort of next level athlete for that offensive line position. And he had a very funny way of describing his own athleticism when he was doing his press conference this weekend too. Listen to the phrase that uh, that Broderick Jones uses here to kind of describe his ability to move around the football field. I really like this from Broad. Take a listen to this. I think it helps me out a lot just being able to have these sweet feet. Um, I think it puts my game on the next level just being able to go along with all my other attributes like so just being able to have sweet feet um you know started in high school playing all different sports uh playing basketball helped me a lot um, just being able to keep you know just staying in sports really that's all it was that's really let me tell you this one thing I've never been accused of having in my life is sweet feet. You know, I'm liable to trip and fall up and down the stairs or, you know, uh, going from the bedroom to the, you know, the, the, the living room to the bedroom at night. Like, what's the uh, – uh, there's a lot of phrases I like around, like, I don't love the NFL pre-draft process, but I do like a lot of phrases that, that scouts use from time to time, like the dancing bear. Like, I've never been accused of being a dancing bear at any point in time in, in my life. But Broderick Jones, he does have sweet feet. So getting a chance to pat yourself on the back for a little bit of sweet feet, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And it's kind of one of those cool things where, okay, if you look at the Kirby Smart era at Georgia, you know, you're talking about, you know, originally it's Sam Pittman as offensive line coach. The mold then were the biggest human beings that existed on planet Earth. And these were guys, as I said before, that were planting dudes in the turf. That's kind of what Georgia did. And then the transition to a Todd Munkin offense and a Matt Luke as offensive line coach, you did see a little bit more like a Broder Jones type of thing kind of in vogue there. And, you know, a little bit slightly more athletic version of an offensive tackle compared to what the Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Wilson era might have been prior to that. Now, after one year of Stacey Sarrells, the one thing we know is the Georgia offensive line has certainly performed at a very high level. I believe it was the nation's best offensive line a year ago. Whether the Joe Moore Award, the award given to the top offensive line, realized it or not, I believe the Georgia offensive line was the very best. But it is kind of an interesting question. Okay, well, moving forward, is the Georgia offensive line going to be a little bit more like what Broder Jones was or a little bit more like what guys like Andrew Thomas might have been before that? I don't know that the answer that's necessarily obvious, uh, but the one thing you can expect based on what they did in 2022, it should be a high-level performance either way. But the bottom line is when it comes to guys like Nolan Smith, we talked about on Friday's show, or guys like Darnell Washington, Broderick Jones over the weekend, 
uh, unbelievable next level UGA athlete, you know, athletes, you know, big for their position, athletic for their size. This was the story of the NFL scouting combine. A year ago, it was a national championship team that dominated Indianapolis, setting itself up for a big time draft performance. It certainly seems like history is repeating itself once again. And if you're a UGA fan, that is a very fun thing to watch play out. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We'll take a series of comments there. So if you're the kind of person that usually watches on another video platform, if you're lucky enough to be able to watch us live, uh, 945 right there on the homepage, kind of our mothership type type uh, platform. Uh, you can stop by, you can see us there, you can get a little bit of extra interaction before the regular show begins at 10 a.m. We'd love to have you join us, or if you watch another video platform that's more convenient for you, hey, we try to make the show as available as we can on as many different platforms as we can. We love to be able to do that. Podcasts as well, Apple, Spotify, the Google Podcast Player, all that kind of stuff. We try to do that for you there too, and on the radio as well. Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, every day at noon. Uh, the kind of replay version of this show. You can check that out there as well. Just happy to have you with us. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible. One of the things I'm really lucky about is a lot of my friends are kind of, you know, in the construction industry or the kind of the home industry in some form or fashion. They kind of make their living with something connected to people's homes. And so I have a lot of conversations a lot with, about, you know, homes and, 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 and trends and, you know, you know, home improvement, things like that. And like the one name that comes up for me so many times on having these discussions is one of those things I talk to you about each and every week here on this show. I'm talking about Pella windows and doors because homeowners in the Atlanta area, and this has been proven out by surveys and things like that year after year, recognize Pella windows and Pella doors as the true market leader when it comes to making your home look better on the outside, feel better on the inside, and, and really giving yourself the peace of mind that you're doing the best things possible in terms of protecting the value of your home and protecting the comfort of your home, which it provides for you and your family that lives there. So I love talking about Pella Window and Door of Georgia on this show each and every week. And in fact, my invitation to you is, is to go talk to somebody who is even better about talking about it than I am. I'm talking about one of those Pella experts that can give you a no-pressure consultation just to walk you through the the complete product line, the installation options, in some cases the financing options, and all the ways in which you can get your house fitted with these Pella windows and doors. You can stop by and do that in the Experience Center right there in Duluth. I I love the facility. It's awesome. We did a show there one time, and I saw the the warehouse and saw all the stuff, and you've got to put your hands on the product and sort of feel it and recognize what makes it different, recognize why it's so well-respected. But You also have a chance to sort of start your shopping experience online if you want to there as well. You can go to PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call at 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Take advantage of great savings because between now and March 26th, you can get 50% off qualifying installations or no payments, no interest until 2024. That is why Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb coming up in a moment. We'll do a Marlowe's Tavern Insider update with him. We'll talk about all the stuff from the Scouting Combine. We'll also get into the serious stuff that Kirby Smart addressed during an ESPN interview on Friday. We haven't really had a chance to talk to John too much about that because the other stuff sort of broke uh, last week. So we'll cover some of that with John here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, Let's go around the doghouse here today, and let's talk about another Georgia player uh, and a, what I thought was a pretty strong combine performance, that coming from Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. Now, 
the Bennett situation a little bit different than guys like um, you know Brider Jones, who probably solidified himself, himself as a first-round pick. Guys like Nolan Smith and Darnell Washington, I believe, made a strong case for themselves as first-round picks to go along with Jalen Carter, who's obviously going to be a first-round pick. Uh, a guy like Keely Ringo, who might be a first-round pick. Once again, you're talking about Georgia with a possibility, and maybe it's even a strong possibility, of having as many as five first-round picks, the same number as they had a year ago. The Stetson-Bennett situation, a little bit different in that Bennett's not likely to go in the first round, but Bennett certainly, I think, answered a lot of critics who wonder what kind of NFL draft prospect he is. Clearly, he's going to be drafted, and I'd say now, based on some of the chatter I'm observing after he threw this past weekend, a lot of you saw it. The velocity seemed good, you know, kind of cranking it up there in excess of 59 miles an hour. The deep ball stuff seemed to be pretty strong. In fact, you compare Bennett's performance to quarterbacks, many cases are going to be taken far ahead of him this draft, at least expected to be. Certainly Stetson's performance wasn't left lacking in comparison to some of these guys who've gotten all kinds of draft praise. Clearly Stetson Bennett has has demonstrated the fact that he is very much an NFL prospect at the quarterback position, and his draft status I think now reflects that. He's obviously also doing a lot of this in the combine in Indy, the same stadium that he helped lead Georgia to its first national championship in more than 40 years at the end of the 2021 season. And Bennett talked about the feeling of kind of being back there with his uh, former Georgia teammates as they were on the ground in which Georgia history was made just a, a little over a year ago. Here is good stuff from Bennett on that. We thought it was pretty cool. Uh, walked in there. I love the stadium. I think the stadium's awesome. With the, uh, I think it, you know, just looks like the city. Um, so you remember that? I think the turf feels a little different than it did. Uh, it's definitely warmer. It was freezing. Um, but yeah, it was special just walking in here. Um, you know, you don't think. I don't know. You just you just remember certain things, certain plays. You know, like a fumble that might have happened. Um, you know, but it was pretty cool. No doubt that Indianapolis is a part of Georgia football history. I'll remember that, and I will tell you, you know, we've been lucky here the last few years because Georgia's played in a lot of cool, interesting stadiums, NFL-type stadiums, and I'd say that Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis is a really cool venue. It's a, it's a fun place to be, and I don't know when, if ever, I'll have a chance to be there again, but watching a football game there and seeing the way that stadium kind of designed to look like a warehouse sort of fit in with the rest of the Indianapolis skyline, that sort of you know feeling around Indy, I'd say it was pretty cool, and something else that was pretty cool there as well is watching the way that Stetson Bennett performed. I mean, here's the one thing we all have to acknowledge, that literally everyone, and I do mean everyone, unless your last name is Bennett, the honest truth is, is that you are probably a little late to the game on Stetson Bennett. Everything that Bennett has done every step of the way, to some extent, has been unexpected. This was true from the very first game he ever played in, or at least, you know, you know, first game of the 2020 season has not been its first experience ever, but the first experience of the 2020 season coming in and saving Georgia's bacon at Arkansas, that wasn't expected. Certainly in 2021, when JT Daniels was injured and not able to play against UAB, that huge eye-popping statistical performance, that wasn't expected either. And then becoming the guy at quarterback for Georgia shortly after that and being Bennett being the one that actually led Georgia to the national championship – that was certainly unexpected, too. To come back and repeat that, for a lot of people, that was also an unexpected performance there as well. To now be, I would say, solidly in the conversation of draftable quarterbacks and a guy that's likely to be drafted now higher than a lot of folks would have thought, that's also unexpected there as well. Even the Georgia coaches themselves have admitted, hey, we didn't see this coming either. They had a chance to kind of cast themselves as, as the, the smart ones in the story, the ones that sort of saw this all along. 
uh, they've readily acknowledged that that Stetson Bennett even kind of snuck up on them too. So Georgia fans don't necessarily have to apologize for anything for the fact that Bennett and his success and his continued repeated success has been a surprise and the kind of thing that sneaks up on you. You know, everybody is has, has probably experienced the same kind of thing. But at a certain point, you just sort of acknowledge what it is that Stetson Bennett is a better quarterback than almost anyone thought he'd ever have a chance to be. The argument has been over and settled for a long time. Bennett is just good. And it wasn't necessarily supposed to be this way. He wasn't necessarily supposed to be the guy. And maybe he wasn't even supposed to be the draft prospect that he seems to kind of be turning into. But that's what it is now. And at a certain point, it's time to sort of stop arguing about it and just sort of appreciate it for what it is. Stetson Bennett now putting himself into a pretty fun NFL draft conversation on the heels of what was a historic career at the University of Georgia. We'll make that around the doghouse. Now, before we're done on today's show, I'm going to let you get a chance to hear some of what Kirby Smart said on Friday on ESPN. Much more serious topic, very, very different than the fun stuff that we're doing here right now. But a lot of folks that wanted to hear from Kirby Smart, well, now you have. And so it'd be weird if we didn't play some of it for you. So we're going to do that here coming up before we're all said and done. A couple of different clips I want to give you from the Kirby Smart interview with Mark Schlebaugh, ESPN on Friday. We will do that. There's also interesting news around the SEC and kind of the broader sense in college football. We're going to cover some of that for you around the SEC coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, just how successful was this NFL scouting combine for UGA? For guys like Bennett, we just mentioned the uh, you know guys like Broderick Jones, Darnell Washington, or Nolan Smith going back to uh, late last week. Let's cover all of that right now with our good friend John Stinchcomb. We call it a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Let's speak to him uh, right here today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. So we're bringing John Stinchcomb here, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with him here today and you know, John, I started my show today by saying that so much of what has happened for Georgia over the course of the last few days feels so much like what happened a year ago. And the reason why I kind of find that to be so remarkable is because, you know, I was led to believe or I, I kind of convinced myself a year ago of, hey, you better appreciate all this while it's happening. You better enjoy this because life is not like this typically. You don't typically have the NFL draft stand as such a commercial for your favorite team. You know, it doesn't typically become such a perfect punctuation mark to a championship season that last year was special. You better enjoy it as special and you better treat it as unique because it may not ever be like this again. And here we are a year later and it's darn near the same stuff going on again, different names, but the same kind of combine dominance, the same kind of, in a lot of ways, commercial for UGA, especially some of the stuff that uh, Nolan Smith said going back to uh, the end of last week, that it is a amazing level of history and the best kind of history in this case repeating itself for UGA. Is that kind of the way you experienced this yourself over the weekend? Absolutely. Once again, we find ourselves in these moments where you're going, this is special, and you don't have to look back and say, man, those were the good old days. These are the good old days. And the way Georgia continues to produce and develop talent and anytime given an opportunity to prove how special it is in Athens right now, They've taken advantage of that, and I think that's what really is continuing to be uh, foremost is Georgia's ability to, given the opportunity, to show what an elite program they've become. Um, and this weekend and this past week at the Combine is no different. So I think the Darnell Washington thing here is maybe one of the more interesting parts of all of this is because 
you know, Georgia clearly has has viewed Darnell as a unique specimen. Darnell himself kind of you know talked about his own kind of unique attributes. But it's also one of those things where, hey, Georgia asked Darnell to do something pretty significant, which is forego your individual glory, help us make the entire team good, and when we can get you touches, we're going to do that. When we can reward you, we're going to do that. If you can become a first-round pick at a place like Georgia by really emulating that sort of team-first mindset that Darnell made kind of the hallmark of his game here over the course of the last couple of years, John, of all the stuff we may say kind of in this pre-draft buildup, that might be the most valuable part of this is because there aren't a lot of players who maybe would willingly volunteer to be as unselfish, I believe, as Darnell Washington became at UGA. But but if it works out to the tune of a huge payday, how valuable is that for the future of Georgia football for this to become a proof of concept they can kind of keep throwing back out year after year after year? Well, it's two years in a row where this has happened. I think Quay Walker yeah. would be one to chime in and say, you buy into the Georgia way, you invest into the program, and even though it may not be what outsiders say is a traditional format, it pays off for you. And Darnell is a, another example of Georgia saying, hey, we've got a vision for you, and it's not going to cost you. It will benefit you in the long run. And, you know, he is he's a uniquely gifted and talented football player, and I think he would find success no matter which program he was in. But the way Georgia developed him, the way they used him, only highlighted and, and progressed his game to the point where uh, he is the multifaceted weapon that any NFL team's looking at going, we've got a guy who potentially is an inline blocking tight end, which seems to be one mold, and also a threat in the passing game that you know anybody who's, who's looking for red zone offense, which is 32 teams in the NFL, says, I want this guy, I want the opportunity to throw to that big old frame that can move down the field at a, at a pace that is pretty impressive for any tight end, much less one that's his size. When you look at uh, Broderick Jones, who, you know, what I saw, an amazing level of athleticism, I think we kind of knew that's what he was, and I kind of talked about this before you joined us, is like you look at the different sort of sub-eras of the Kirby Smart era when it comes to it's Sam Pittman to begin with. These are the largest humans on earth just sort of planting people in the turf. And then the Matt Luke era kind of coinciding with the start of the Todd Munkin era is about the more athletic Broderick Jones-style offensive lineman. I'm probably oversimplifying this, but that's kind of the caricature I'm going to draw there. <laughs> if you have the two starkly different types of you know offensive linemen, Pittman and, and Matt Luke, just for the sake of conversation, what do you see the future of Stacey Serrells being? A little bit more like what Luke was, a little bit more like what uh, Pittman would have been before that? Well, I think it's much more to do with the evolution of offenses and – what Georgia has been able to produce and how they've been able to produce. There's still space for, you know, those run-heavy uh, offenses where you, know, you pound away and then take your play-action pass options when they avail themselves. That, that exists in the NFL. You look at Baltimore as a great example of it, and at times uh, Kansas City as well. I mean, there's others, right? So, it's not it's not a dying concept that's going away from the game. But you look at the way Munkin had has attacked teams, and it's it's a much more versatile, um, option oriented. Whatever you give us, we're going to take advantage of system. And I think that 
plays more to your traditional, you know, combination of athletic and size offensive linemen, which is what where Broderick falls and Warren McClendon, and it's probably not quite your Isaiah Wilsons of the world, which were huge, and Ben Cleveland, those huge monsters that um, can lean on and pound people. So, um, you know, I, I think there's still space for both, but I think where Georgia is right now, and, and who knows what it looks like within the, as Bobo starts his era as offensive coordinator, but I think it most likely looks more like the, the Munkin system of options, variability, and um, a good mix of run-pass-spread concepts. We talked about Stetson Bennett here for a moment because I feel like I'm a pretty pro-Bennett figure in terms of the fact that you know, I've been kind of in favor of Stetson Bennett being better than some people thought for a long time. And yet, John, even with being that kind of, you know, sports talker, I still feel like I've even underrated Stetson Bennett at times there, too, because here we are on the basis of his combine performance. Some of this will kind of settle down and maybe, you know, uh, prevailing wisdom will kind of you know restore itself at some point in time. But it seems like on the basis of what Bennett did in the combine over the weekend, He's likely, I always expect him to be drafted, but he's likely to be drafted higher than I assume that he possibly would. And I start looking at Bennett in comparison to guys who were expected to be taken well ahead of him, and I'm left to wonder, okay, well, what exactly is the argument for these other guys necessarily? For instance, a guy that I love is Bryce Young. I'm a Falcons fan. I'd love for Bryce Young to be with the Falcons. I don't think it's going to work out that way. But if Bryce Young was the future of the Atlanta Falcons, I think I'd be pretty happy about that. Take my chances with him being a really good quarterback. And then you start to wonder, okay, well, Bennett measured you know, as well, if not better, than Bryce Young did. He won two championships in college. Bryce Young didn't win any. I, I still believe that, that Young should be drafted well ahead of Stats Bennett. I'm not saying that I don't. But you start to wonder – Okay, well, what is the knock on Bennett from a draft standpoint if, you know, he threw well in the combine, he clearly won in college? You know, what do you think of Stetson Bennett's kind of draftable status based on the entirety of his career at UGA, what you may have seen from him in the combine? How good of an NFL prospect is he really in your mind? I think he is a a good prospect. So that's a mid-round guy, I think. You know, there are some limitations there. There's limitations in, you know, his size and stature. But look at this draft class, and Bryce Young is a great comparison because he's not your 6'5", 235 QB, like uh, what your prototype is. And look across the NFL, and that's not the case anymore. I mean, uh, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray – I mean, the, the, the list of guys that are not huge, that aren't the, you know, towering over the offensive line or at least looking eye level with them, uh, of starting NFL quarterbacks, Russell Wilson included, um, there's plenty that aren't huge in stature. And um, there's space for guys like Stetson who can create with their feet when, when asked or when called upon but also are good pocket quarterbacks. And I think, uh, I think he continues to you know, just watch him play, watch the work that he puts in, watch what he did in the combine, and you say, why would we not? And, and that's probably what he had to overcome when he was at Georgia twice. And the, the last time being obviously pretty fruitful for once you say, hey, let's give this guy a shot. And 
think NFL teams are, are hopefully a little more judicious, although their track records are not great considering how many guys they draft and versus how many guys that are undrafted that end up on rosters. So I don't know if that's a, a stellar sheet that they've got as a history record, but for Stetson, I think there's great opportunity for him to go to the NFL and find success and um, uh, stick around for, for a good long while if, you know, all the other intangibles of preparation and, um, you know, not, not making bug-headed decisions away from the game sure. uh, continue to to be a part of what he offers a, a program. So let me ask you this. So you play with Drew Brees, and like the NFL draft guys will tell us, Hey, if you're shorter, like six foot or under, it really is hard to see the middle of the field during the NFL game. There really is a penalty on not being tall enough to see over the pocket, tall enough to see over the offensive line. Well, clearly Drew Brees is the outlier that goes against that because obviously how good he was and you played with him. You know, how, how come it wasn't more of a problem for Drew Brees, John? How, how, how come Brees was so able to to avoid this? Just because he was just so, you know, dadgum accurate or whatever else? Were there moments privately where Brees wished he was taller? Like, what, you know, how come Brees was able to succeed at this sort of the six-foot mark? We're kind of told that's the sort of height that it makes it very hard to be a successful quarterback. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of folks that talk about the game that probably don't know it very well. Drew never never had the opportunity to play at 6'5". So the only way he knew how to play it was at borderline six feet tall. Right. And you find those lanes, you find uh, where you need to set up in the pocket, and uh, I, I think he was able to find a, a great deal of success doing so. And he's not the only one. I mean, you, you look at the list of quarterbacks now, and there's, there's I'd say, almost a third of the league that is under, let's call it 6'2". And starting and, and having varying degrees of success there. So I think they've widened the, um, you know, what uh, the, the prototype still is 6'4", six, 6'5", six, sees over the line, has a cannon for an arm, sure, all those things. Well, uh, personal experience, I played against Robert Mathis, uh, Pro Bowl, perennial Pro Bowl defensive end. And you look at him, and with all due respect, he was not intimidating. It wasn't a very impressive package, but yet the guy can just play football. And at the end of the day, that's what any any NFL team is looking for is, I want somebody who can produce. And Stetson is, is certainly that guy, even if it's not the numbers. I, I played for an offensive line coach who would say, I prefer the, you know, the big, monstrous 350 players, but at the end of the day, I want somebody who can produce. And so as long as you're out there making plays and performing for your team, uh, that's the recipe for success. And if it doesn't fit the mold or the, you know, the, the, the prototype of what a position should look like, at the end of the day, who really cares? I want somebody who can, who can perform and produce. Let me ask you to kind of keep your NFL analyst hat on for a second. I want to kind of broaden this out beyond just Georgia for a moment because the other draft conversation, it seems like we're doing our comment sections and things like this for this show. This kind of comes up a lot. But there is some NFL team out there that's going to take a chance on a quarterback and the top end of the first round who I would say just wasn't very good in college. You know, Anthony Richardson had a very good NFL scouting combine. 
But, you know, I don't think you have to be kind of chief gator hater like me to say that Richardson just wasn't that good in college. And Will Levis is another example of this where, I mean, you see some of these, you know, ESPN type pundits, you know, foaming at the mouth to praise Will Levis. John, I don't think Will Levis is very good in college either, not either of the last two years. So, I mean, now Josh Allen wasn't that good in college either, and he's one of the best players in the uh, in the NFL. And I would say even a guy like Daniel Jones is probably better in the NFL than he was in college. So I want to ask you what might seem like a simplistic question, but I, but I mean this genuinely. You know, how much is not being all that good in college? How much does that matter when it comes to having a chance to be very good in the NFL? Yeah, it, it's such a strange deal, and I think if if anyone was ever able to figure it out, what exactly you're looking for is to how it will translate to success, then they could make a small mint worth of money because it's yet to be solved. I mean, there's always those years where you think, golly, I'm not sure how this guy's going to perform, and they far exceed your expectations. Obviously, Brady is the best example of that. And then the flip side of the coin is this guy can't miss. You know what I mean? He's going to be great in the pros, and it just doesn't seem to ever come to fruition. I mean, that's why we can look back to those drafts six or seven years down the road and say, wow, you couldn't have been more wrong about um, Sam Darnold or any any of that class where – there's other guys that seem to uh, slip through and, and get picked up later and say, man, how, how did we not see this? And um, it's that's what makes it so difficult. Um, you, you look at guys that weren't quite as successful in college and you're, you're questioning, was it, was it a system fit? Did they have players around them that could make plays? Were they always under duress? And it really does affect your ability to evaluate because you're not looking at apples to apples ever it's always there's so many other um, mitigating circumstances that affects uh the ability to to evaluate how they will look once they they get in your system with the players that you can surround them with and that's a that's a big factor in in their ability to succeed it's our marlos tavern insider update with john stingecomb and of course he is our dog nation insider on this show each and every week but you yourself have a chance to be a marlos tavern insider and you great you get great incentives just for doing that. In fact, when you sign up, you're actually going to get ten dollars off a thirty dollar order there at Marlowe's Tavern just for signing up. It's also free to join, which is a really good thing there as well. But once you're a part of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club, you're going to get what they call qualified visits. So when you go to the tavern, including the one right there in your neighborhood, and spend at least fifteen dollars, that earns your qualified visit. When you get up to four qualified visits. You're going to then get a great reward, a complimentary entree reward up to $20 on your next visit to Marlowe's Tavern. So it's free to join. Go to Marlowe'sTavern.com for a lot more on that. That is Marlowe'sTavern.com for more on that. Of course, great to have John Stinch come as a part of our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. All right, so, John, there's a lot of fun stuff going on around UGA. We love talking about that. There's also some serious stuff there as well. We learned last week about Jalen Carter's presence at the accident that obviously resulted in loss of life for Devin Willick and Chandler Lercoy going back to January. Uh, there were some misdemeanor charges uh, you know, given to Carter because of that. Athens uh, police revealed last week. We heard from Kirby Smart on Friday uh on espn about all of this john we really haven't heard from you since the carter thing became known so i guess let me start with kind of a broad question then i'll follow up after that you know what do you think about the news that we've learned as of late yeah i i think we we keep the main thing the main thing and 
it's the my heart hurts still for the loss of life. Anytime uh, you lose members of really Dog Nation or just across the board, young folks that uh, you know die, it, it, it's brutal. It hurts, and that's what's most important is you know recognizing that no matter what the circumstances are, that's two lives that were cut way short. And uh, how unfortunate it is. And, you know, for Jalen, for really everybody involved, I'm sure there's a level of, of pain that we can't even relate to. That uh, just being a part of that situation and, and losing a brother and a sister, or two folks that you really love, um, it hurts. And uh, when you're young and you, you, it's not an excuse, but you make mistakes um sometimes the price you pay for those is really high and um i think that's what's most unfortunate about it is um those were mistakes there were mistakes that were made um and it it cost two people their lives and that's what's sad now for jalen um you know i it's it's still speculation as to what that what his involvement is with it or you know how it did impact um chandler's ability to to drive and uh whether or not there was racing to me that's inconsequential what's what matters most is um just trying to recognize the loss that was incurred and i think georgia does you know i heard coach smart talk about the culture and um, the the many folks that he brought in and, and really the entire athletic department brings in to try to pour into the young men of the football team and really all the student athletes across the University of Georgia and uh, teach them the right way and, and create a culture there where you minimize the opportunities for you know devastating loss like they just experienced. And at the end of the day, I think there's some things that you just can't control. I know um, when I was a rookie going in the NFL, they have the rookie symposium, and there's a number of speakers and, and uh, professionals in their field that are giving you good financial advice and the do's and don'ts and warnings of the, the hazards that exist in the NFL and, and what comes around with it. And there's always going to be folks that are sleeping in the back of those meetings. And so despite the fact that your best efforts are to prevent people from uh, hurting themselves and hurting others and, and making some mistakes that uh, they'll regret down the road, um, you can only do as much as you're capable. And there comes a point, I think we all can relate to this, where there's individual ownership of you know, folks aren't always going to make the best decisions, and um, you know, in this in this particular case, it, it hurts even more. And I'm sure the um, because of the society we live in today, we're all going, well, how how can we prevent this? And um, you know, I think we continue to try to look at ways to empower and educate and let folks know the hazards that exist. Um, and, and try to minimize the opportunities for, for such a tragedy to occur.
Let me ask you this, and it's uh, you know not easy to know this, but you know we've heard from Kirby Smart. Now we're going to play some of this audio on the show in a moment. We've heard from the Athens police. They released their statement last week. You know, Jalen Carter's camp has intimated they're going to bring some new evidence at some point in time. So we'll, I guess, hear more from them. And I think there's a chance we hear more from Devin Willick's family at some point in time. But is this kind of the beginning of the end of this as a story? Are we starting to see a corner turned here in terms of, uh, of, uh, of this being, you know, kind of a story that gives new information is all the new information out at this point, John, I know you don't know that, so I don't know how I expect you to answer yeah. this, but, but I am curious what you think anyway. I think, I mean, our, my, my hope would be that yes, it would be, and we can move on with the grieving process, but uh, my head says that probably not. I mean, you know, it seems like there's still you know, more discovery that could take place or more aspects of the story that could come to light. And, uh, you know, I I get it. But I think what, what would be most healthy for everyone is, is the ability to to move forward and mourn and, and do the best we can to learn from this situation and, um, moved past what it is. I think if, you know, given the knowledge that we have now and understanding of what transpired and, and all the various aspects, it's a clear enough picture to me to, to have at least a, a loose understanding of, of what happened. And it's sad. And, you know, it's mistakes were made and it cost people their lives but um i don't think we're done with it if you will that this is something that you know because of the way we process through things on so many different levels that i'm sure there's more to come from it and um you know, I, i'm probably not what's healthiest but the way we seem to process through these kind of tragedies John, uh, very good stuff. Thank you so much for being here. I know that's not a fun subject to talk about, but your word's obviously very valuable to us, so we appreciate that. It's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. We'll look forward to talking to you very soon on much happier subject matter, at least we hope, in the weeks to come. Yeah, and uh, I, I appreciate it. I look forward to more discussions on, on football, and I'm sure everyone else does. But, for sure. Um, you know, it, it's part of life is, is recognizing that uh, outside of the entertainment value that football brings, these are men that are, are involved in it, and they're they have lives too. And, and sometimes uh, we can relate to them in all too real ways. So I get it, and I appreciate the uh, the opportunities to to just be a dog and a part of this family. And um, it's always great to be a dog. So I appreciate the the opportunity, BA that. You provide on a weekly basis for us to come and, and talk about something that we have uh, a, a true love and passion for. Thank you, John. I appreciate that as well. Yeah, brother. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, not an easy discussion, but probably a necessary one. I thought John had good words on that, and we will let you hear some of what Kirby Smart said on Friday on ESPN. If you missed that, we'll do that before 
we are all set and done. How about uh, before we get to that, though, much happier subject matter cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, as I told you at the top of the show. And this was not an ad when I say it. This is an ad. But uh, when I said it at the top, it wasn't an ad. I cannot wait to be on board Independence of the Seas uh, this upcoming April, final night of the cruise. I'm talking about it's just perfect up there at the top. And this year, our cruise is so much larger than it was a year ago. We're actually kind of commandeering an entirely different level of this. So we're like, it's almost like the coolest rooftop bar you've ever been. But top of the the, the ship, their independence of the seas for the ultimate draft party. Last year, we saw five names uh, mentioned from UGA uh, player ranks. This year, have a chance to match that number again, maybe. But you better believe every time one of those names gets called, hooping and hollering and all that kind of stuff coming from our Dog Nation draft party on board Independence of the Seas. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, Jessica Slater is a great travel agent. She's helped us with this every step of the way. And if you want to get involved, either last-minute chance on the Dog Nation cruise, or you want your own Royal Caribbean cruise. By the way, we've got a golden shoe coming up from somebody on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. Uh, we'll talk about that here coming up in a moment. Uh, Jessica, great name to know. You can call her directly, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Also visit RoyalDogs.com. That is RoyalDogs.com, and you can get in on the fun that is the Dog Nation cruise and all the other great stuff going on with Royal Caribbean here right now. So, on Friday near the end of our recording, I actually mentioned this on our podcast, Cool Down, uh, but didn't have it for the regular broadcast. So Nick Saban, I guess, has found out about the permanent opponents that uh, Alabama is supposed to have when the SEC is believed to extend itself to a nine-game conference schedule with the three permanents. And Nick Saban's not too happy about it. Nick Saban, you know, listen, you can add this to the list of things he sort of whined about over the course of the last few years. But he's not happy because uh, Alabama's going to be playing Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU each season, according to the reporting from Sports Illustrated here. Now, the only surprise in this particular case is LSU because any scheduling model uh, has to include the Iron Bowl and it has to include third Saturday in October the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry. There are only a handful of SEC rivalries that have to be played, and I would say that there are only a couple of teams that have two of them, Georgia and Alabama being those. You know, Georgia's got to play Florida every year, and it's got to play Auburn every year. Alabama has to play Auburn every year, and it has to play Tennessee every year. Now, the team that gets messed up by all this is poor old Auburn. <laughs> Alabama and Georgia every year on the basis of what we sort of think is to have to as it relates to this, uh, you know, kind of conference tradition, things like that. That's why a lot of people believe they may get thrown the bone of playing a team like Vanderbilt or something as their third opponent because they got to play Alabama and Auburn every year. Ultimately, here's what I believe. And I've been thinking a lot about this because some of the chatters out there now, well, actually, you know, you think Georgia may play South Carolina. Georgia may actually play somebody completely different than that. I think ultimately we probably make a little too much out of the three permanent opponents. Like this seems like a really big deal now because this is the news we're waiting to hear confirmation on. But eventually when you get to the actual SEC schedule, you're going to be playing every team in the SEC every two years. So, you know, your three permanent opponents when two thirds of your league schedule is not going to be permanent, it's going to be rotating every year. Eventually, every SEC schedule is going to look pretty close to the same. I'm not actually quite so sure how much the permanent opponents are going to actually overall affect the schedule balance within the league. So Nick Saban's whining and complaining right now. He wants it to be easy. Uh, a lot of folks at that stage of life kind of do. But uh, but in this particular case, I don't know that the Alabama schedule is all that different playing LSU every year compared to playing LSU every other year when you think about the other kinds of teams that you play. Plus, it's sort of, it's sort of hard to imagine. Okay, so what... 
I'm going to make this quick and we can move on. Like, what counts as a tough opponent? Is it a team like Tennessee, which is good now, but hasn't been good for most of the last 20 years? Is it Oklahoma, which is kind of bad now, but has been good for most of the last 20 years? Is it Texas, which always seems to underachieve, but from a recruiting ranking standpoint, it's always ranked high? Uh, is it a team like Auburn that's really bad now, but if you look over the course of the last 50 years, it's probably a top 25 team more often than not. If I were to ask you, hey, going forward, if you want the easiest schedule, who would you want to play? Well, obviously, a team like Vanderbilt is the easiest example there. But what really counts as tough and what really counts as easy, given the fact that so much of this is sort of is defined over the course of many, many years? So from that standpoint, I think that Nick Saban is literally the old man yelling at clouds when it comes to all of this. Speaking of change, there is a lot of change on the way to college football and we now have reason to believe, based on some of the rule recommendations from some of these committees, and Kirby Smart and I spoke about this last week, that we've got big changes coming on the rule front as well. And all of this with the design of shortening college football games. They're not shortening the commercial breaks, but shortening the actual action on the field a little bit. The word they use now is exposures. The number of times a player has a chance to kind of collide with another player, limiting those exposures, and some of the ideas here some of this is not controversial really at all you know they want to get rid of the untimed downs at the end of the first and third quarter whereas there's a penalty uh on the defense typically that results in an untimed down while at the end of the game into the half of course you'd want that first and third quarter there's no really reason to do that because the drive just continues on the other side of the quarter break so getting rid of that getting rid of the opportunity to take a consecutive timeout this is often you know uh, icing the kicker situation where you call a timeout you call another timeout eliminating that ability to take back-to-back timeouts as a way of shortening the game. The more controversial stuff, and it's not really controversial, but the more debatable topics are at least one point in time is kind of kicked around the notion they may leave the clock running after an incomplete pass, something the college ball does not do right now. This would greatly reduce the number of plays in the game if you had the clock running during all of this. And the one change I believe that's likely to happen is probably going to happen is keeping the clock running after a first down one of the things that makes college football different than the nfl is is the fact the nfl clock does keep running like this currently the college football clock doesn't but inside of two minutes last two minutes of the first half last two minutes of uh the game you would stop the clock after a first down but you wouldn't do that for the other 56 minutes during the game so this seems like it's on its way to happening and the games are going to have a reduced number of plays because of that so i think one of the things that's kind of interesting to uh kind of kick around here is well, what exactly will a reduced number of college football plays mean for the games that we see on a sort of Saturday to Saturday basis? Once again, Georgia is probably impervious to whatever. I mean, you know, Georgia just sort of seems to be the outlier in everything that rules just don't have much of an impact on Georgia because, you know, while it just sort of seems like Georgia likes playing with fewer plays and, you know, they just sort of seem to dominate no matter what. So they're probably an outlier in all of this no matter what. Just whatever. You know, Georgia's going to handle the situation, whatever it is. But for the rest of college football, my first thought was, well, if you're going to stop, if you're going to take away these sort of clock stops and things like that, that you might reduce the number of upsets. But the truth is, mathematically, that's actually probably not the case. If you think about what makes a better team better, like the definition of being better is on a per play basis, you're more successful. And that from that line of thinking, not to get too like math nerdy here, is that on a, if, if you're the team that's the better team, then on a per-play basis, you're more successful. Your defense gets more stops. Your offense gets more you know, explosives or uh, you know, efficient plays. Then you want the larger sample size of the game. You want as many plays as possible during the game because it just gives you more chances to win. That really, 
in the future, if we really are going to have a reduced number of plays, even a small reduction in the number of plays, it does probably favor the underdog in a game just slightly. Maybe not against Georgia because Georgia seems to thrive in, uh, in games with a small number of plays in a way that almost kind of belies the math. But, but for everybody else, a smaller number of plays, I think, mathematically probably helps the, num- the underdogs a little bit. Uh, if you're smarter than me, maybe you could help kind of weigh in on that. But if we do see these changes occur, it, it, it'll certainly reduce comebacks. Right? If you're down by three scores, it's going to be harder for you to come back if the clock's not stopping quite as much. But in terms of, hey, who benefits, favor or underdog, I think underdog probably benefits just slightly. Am I right about that? Yeah, tell me what you think about that. And then there, finally, there's this. And I kind of want to read this just for a second because it's been out there for a couple of days. I've been meaning to get to it. We just haven't. Andrea Adelson had a story the other day about the future of the ACC. And the, the basic gist of it is this, is the ACC has a very long media rights deal in place. And with the new SEC deal about to kick in, with the new Big Ten deal about to kick in, the imbalance financially between the SEC Big Ten and a league like the ACC is really becoming more stark. Now, this also coincides with what's happening right now with the Big 12 and the Pac-12 sort of fighting over their new media rights deal, and one of those leagues may have a hard time surviving in the future. That's at least a possibility. But the ACC has the opposite problem. It's got a media rights deal in place, but it's so paltry from a financial standpoint compared to leagues like the Big Ten and the SEC that anybody in the ACC that thinks it could go somewhere else would like to, but contractually, the best that I can tell, sort of prohibited from being able to do that. So let me, uh, one of the one of the folks kind of speaking out here is Florida State Athletic Director Michael Alford um, when it comes to the uh, situation, uh, you know, in the ACC, telling ESPN, I'm going to read here, at the end of the day, for Florida State to compete nationally, something has to change moving forward. Uh, Adelson writes, the numbers are uh, stark. In a few years, the new TV deals, the SEC, Big Ten are going to kick in. They're going to provide member institutions in those leagues with 30 to $40 million more annually than Florida State's going to receive from the ACC. So that's the example here that's being talked about of, hey, would leagues like the Big Ten or the SEC try to absorb some of these uh, ACC teams? But here's the one thing that I'm not quite so sure about, and I'm going to try to learn more about this. I'm curious to hear what smart people say about this. You, you see this a little bit in like the, the, the Pac-12, Big 12 stuff that's going on, which is, hey, the Big 12 may try to absorb like Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. They call those the four corners schools because they're in states. They kind of have those sharp, rigid corners. They sort of look like boxes. Uh, they're called the four corners uh, states. Uh, they may try to absorb those. But financially right now, it is not obvious how much other conferences gain by conference expansion. In other words, when the SEC took on Oklahoma and Texas, it was obvious that you'd want to add those teams if you could because those are really big brands. And when the uh, Big Ten looked to add USC, UCLA, it was obvious from a financial standpoint you'd want to have Los Angeles in your league footprint because it's the second biggest city in America. But now when it comes to programs like Florida State, Clemson, even Miami maybe, whereas Clearly, your league gets more competitive by having programs like that in it. Financially speaking, it's not obvious to me that there's a whole lot to be gained from that. First of all, because the SEC already has a big presence in Florida, just to use Florida State as an example. And if you want to look at Clemson there as well, the SEC is already in South Carolina. Plus, the previous conference expansion that took place when, like, say, Missouri, Texas A&M came to the SEC around uh, 2012, you know, that was back in a time in which the entirety of this conversation was dominated by the old school cable bundle, whereas you wanted to be in big cities, new markets to kind of increase your cable TV footprint. 
But there's a reason why now we call these media rights deals and not just cable TV deals because a lot of this, I don't know that a ton of this is going to be streaming-based, but but the idea of overall viewers' eyeballs, no matter where you're located, that's kind of more important now than maybe it would have been back in the days when it was sort of exclusively cable bundle that we were talking about as the driving force behind a TV deal. So the bottom line on all this is, because I'll probably talk more about this than I need to, is that if you're not the Big Ten of the SEC, your league's future is very much in doubt. I honestly don't know if we'll have a Pac-12 in, in a few years. And I think the folks in the Pac-12 don't know that either. And now all of a sudden the ACC is kind of in the same situation where there are clearly some hands in the air of some of the league's better programs saying, hey, we'd like to get out. But I'm not exactly so sure there's anywhere for them to go. Florida State's a good football team, but does it make financial sense for that program to be in your league? Are you going to make more money for having them? I don't know the answer. That question is obviously le- yes, which kind of puts the future for all this in doubt. So very, very interesting times. Clearly the SEC and the Big Ten are growing by leaps and bounds. The rest of the leagues, it's not even obvious they'll exist within a few years. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, all of this, no big problem for UGA right now because it's the reigning back-to-back national champions. And if you're happy about that, we have a great way for you to be able to celebrate that. That's with our friends at Jittery Joe's. Let me reach down and show this to you. Because you've seen me show this off before, and I am so proud of this. Jittery Joe's obviously great coffee. A lot of you already kind of know this there as well. It's kind of one of those staples in the Athens area. And they've got this great commemorative can to not only celebrate the great Jittery Joe's coffee, which is inside the can, but also showcase Georgia's national championship here. The Power G there on the top, the uh, back-to-back national championship logo. You kind of roll the can around. You see moments from the season, recapping all the games some of the great you know history of georgia football kind of on display here there as well you love collector's items to go along with your uh, national championship well guess what that's what jittery joe's provides for you there as well so you can go to jitteryjoes.com to find out how you can pick one of these up the great coffee that kind of comes from the great region of the, of the world where great coffee is made jitteryjoes.com that delicious jittery joe's coffee inside this commemorative Ten celebrating Georgia's back-to-back national championships. Check this out at jitterybjoes.com today to be able to enjoy all of that. All right, before we wrap things up on our program today, let's get serious again here for another minute and talk about a couple of pieces of news that are out there. First of all, as many of you are aware, uh, the felony charge against Ra Ra Thomas has been dropped. So um, I'm going to read here from DogNation.com just to make sure you get all the facts in this uh, correct. The f- and Connor Riley had this story uh, going back over the weekend. The felony false imprisonment charge against Ra Ra Thomas has been reportedly dismissed, according to Chip Towers, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. According to Thomas's lawyer, he's entered a pretrial diversion program to deal with the misdemeanor family violence charge. He's also taking anger management classes in the process of completing 40 hours of community service. So there you go. It seems like the Thomas situation heading for a resolution there. There's a reason why we don't say much about this stuff when it first happens because we want the legal process play out. Oftentimes it's complicated. In the case of Thomas, it seems to be playing out in his favor, I guess. It also kind of bolsters what we have sort of believe is true now for a while, which is that Rod Rod Thomas is going to be on this team in 2023, including going through spring practice here coming up in just a few days. So more details on that at dognation.com and also on friday as we talked to john stinchcomb about a moment ago kirby smart showed up on sports center to address the incident involving uh you know the traffic asking going back to january the the details that we learned about jalen carter uh this past week and i thought that smart gave a forceful defense of his program which he has certainly a right to do including some of the the um 
I guess the debate about you know what Georgia knew when it knew it related to some of this kind of stuff that that Smart feels like that in some respects his program has unfairly been painted in a bad light. This is what Smart said about the actual facts from his perspective and what's going on with UGA as it tries to make sense of the accent that uh, that that you know cost Devin Willick, Chandler McCoy their lives and the the involvement of Jalen Carter in this in some form or fashion. This is one one of the things from Kirby Smart on Sports Center on Friday on that. I think there's a, a misperception out there that we may know more than other people or there's this misperception that we're trying to hide something. We're in search of information too and we don't get all that information. So we'll cooperate fully with authorities and, and, and give them all the information we can. So that's smart on that. At the end of this interview, Mark Schlebaugh, who obviously has known this Georgia program for quite some time, asked Kirby directly about his feeling about the culture around the Georgia program and what the news of this offseason means as we try to process exactly what the Georgia culture is. Here's the question and answer from Smart on that. Once again, ESPN from Friday. Does your program have a culture problem? Absolutely not. And I would say we're far from it. Do we have perfect young men and women and players? Not necessarily, but I promise you this, that's the intent for us to grow these guys and get them better and uh, feel really good about the culture within our program. So listen, there's obviously a myriad collection of opinions about all the stuff that's gone on with UGA, what it means, what it's all about. It's not necessarily my place here to deliberate all of that with you. You've got your own point of view on that. As I mentioned with John earlier, though, I think the one big question now, one way or another, is is this kind of the end of this? Does this begin the process of ending all of this? Smart has spoke. That was the interview there. Uh, the Athens police has released their statement that came last week on the heels of some AJC reporting. Um, you know, Jalen Carter, as I said, has sort of suggested they're going to bring new facts into the public discussion at some point in time. There's a chance we hear more from Devin Willick's family at some point in time. But you sort of wonder in kind of large measure if if the story starts to kind of slow down a little bit after this. I certainly would say that's the hope of UGA. So we'll see if if that's indeed the way all of this turns out. It's been an awful chapter, and it's more than anything just sad, right? We've never stopped being sad about what happened to Devin and Chandler. And there has been a lot of stuff that's come out you know, since then that has left us confused in some respects. But have we now learned everything we're going to learn about what all of this was? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Kirby Smart showing up on Friday to offer that defense of his program. And, of course, we'll try to transition back to our sort of typical fun stuff here to kind of uh, wrap things up here today. And I told you off the top of the program that last year just had a great time on our Dog Nation cruise, sort of celebrating the NFL draft on the final night of the cruise. Looking forward to doing that again. And I love hearing from all of you on board your own Dog Nation cruise. And I love the fact when you guys represent Dog Nation when you go on your cruise. In fact, let's honor this as our golden shoe winner for today. How about High Dog checking in? Got the Dog Nation koozie. I love those swimming trunks. And listen, I don't make a habit of typically comment on another man's swimming trunks, but I do like the the standing dog logo kind of repeating on the trunks there. That looks great. Having a great time on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. Uh, thankful to have you check in. And I, as, as I told High Dog, I wish I was right there with you. Love to be on board that right now. So uh, glad to see High Dog having a good time. We'll give him a golden shoe, although I think he's so busy enjoying his vacation. I'm not sure he'll even have time to appreciate that, but golden shoe going out nonetheless. 
Let me tell you who does not have cruise vacations. They don't have fun in the sun. They don't have anything going on. Uh, that's the lousy, stinking gators. And 236 days from right now, it gets even worse. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. And we'll see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews uh, podcast cooldown. Of course, you can find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. A couple of comments via Twitter here, including Chris, who writes in to say, I'd argue that Nolan Smith represents what a DGD truly looks like. He's if that's the case, then what's the difference between a DGD and just a good dog? It's <laughs> a good question. I don't know um, uh, if there's a discernible difference between the two, but the idea of what a true DGD is, damn good dog, you know, the idea of that, as I said the other day to me it kind of comes down to who works to make georgia better while they're at georgia and in some cases it may be one of the most decorated players in program history in other cases it may be a guy who's only here for a short period of time but if they left georgia better than they found it then i think they get to be a dgd in fact i think the cool thing about dgd is is i don't think it's reserved for just players because there's clearly a category of georgia contribution that can only be achieved by a coach, a player of the program. Those are the guys that really have their hands on what happens on the field. But there is certainly a way to participate in the Georgia program in a way that extends beyond just being a coach, being a player. You know, if you're a fan, if you give your money to UGA, if you invest in the program, if you're a donor, if you give to the NIL stuff, if you just buy tickets over the course of you know a number of years, you know, to me, that makes you a DGD. And even beyond that, you know, let's say that you're in a time of life where, hey, maybe I don't have enough discretionary income to buy tickets to go to these games, and you know, I you know don't really have the means to to be you know an investor in the program by a you know, like a donor or nil something like that. But there's also a vibe created around the program. You know, a lot of recruits come to Georgia because of the mood that is created by you know how much fun Georgia fans have by being around this program. That's obviously an attractive thing that draws folks to it so i mean i think there's a way to be a dgd even if you're just a fan and even if you're not the kind of fan that's pouring a ton of money in the program the vibe that you help create around the program the energy you help create around the program is a part of that too so that's the cool thing to me about being a dgd is i don't believe it's reserved just for those who are coaches and players nor certainly is it reserved for those who are you know long story careers there's a way to be a dgd you know a lot of different ways to do that i would say our buddy G. Grace Bama Boy, who's a resident Alabama fan, that chimes in a lot of what we do, laughing about you know some of the schedule stuff. Obviously, Nick Saban had complained. Uh, we talked about that on the show today. G. Grace Bama Boy says that Georgia doesn't have anything to complain about because they're likely to get Florida, South Carolina, and maybe Missouri. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I think that Georgia's going to get certainly Florida and Auburn no matter what. And I guess there's been some chatter lately that their third team, I think we all kind of thought it was going to be South Carolina, that maybe there's a possibility it's actually somebody different. But as I said before, I mean, this is a big deal now because we don't you know, have all this revealed to us as of yet. But eventually, I think your three permanent opponents are not going to seem all that interesting because you're going to be playing the entirety of the league every two years. And so ultimately, I think all these SEC schedules are going to feel somewhat similar, even though you're playing the small handful of opponents you know, on a more regular basis, you're going to be playing everybody every two years and you're going to be playing in every stadium in the sec every four years so eventually there's going to be a little bit of a scheduling parity and balance kind of brought by that i think so this is a big deal now but i believe it'll seem like less of a big deal once this all gets firmly established so 
that is that for now. Thanks for being here for our podcast, Cool Down. You can find R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com. And it's time to start thinking about the air conditioning time of year, spring, summer on its way. That means you want to get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs to handle that hot weather when it's get when it gets here. It's been pretty warm as of late already. So find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for more on that. Uh, be nice and comfortable inside your house this year when that uh, warm weather gets here. rsandrews.com for more on that. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We will look forward to talking to you then.